Let's go ahead and pray, and then we will dive into it this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we just want to thank you for our time together today. Um, I pray, God, that you would help us just to uh, consider your words this morning, um, that we'd be willing to take a look at the mirror of your word and see ourselves as we actually are, and hear your voice about the things that we need to do to change, to be more obedient, Um, not just because it's what we're supposed to do, but, uh, but because we love you and uh, you deserve our obedience. Um, you have made us, and not only have you made us, uh, you have also redeemed us um, through your Son. And I pray, God, that we would uh, just always give you our allegiance. And um, every single day that we exist, especially being in your family, as born-again um, sons and daughters of you, we're in a battle, we're in a war, and a lot of us many times fail. And we need to learn what we need to do to be prepared. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so, God, I pray you just give me clarity of thought and that I'd be able to communicate the right way and that we'd be able to leave here really inspired to do the things that are right uh, because we do truly love you. And so help us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Joshua chapter 5. All right, so right now we're going to be hitting this chapter. This is a, this is a great chapter. Um, there's a lot of things that are in here that we can take. There's three things in particular that we're going to be talking about this morning. But the whole premise of what we're going to be talking about is prepare for war. Because in Joshua chapter 6, what is going to happen? We've talked about it for the past couple weeks. What's happening in Joshua chapter 6? Joshua in the battle of Jericho. Jericho, yes. So if you're a VeggieTales fan, then that's going to be... A great, great clip that I'm sure I'll have to try to find for us next week. All right. So Jericho's headed up. And so this is the first battle, and we've talked about this. God has promised Israel how much of the land? All of it. All of it. And he even gave them specifically, like, where it's at and how big and everything. But the first place that they stop is Jericho. So they cross over the Jordan, and now Jericho's in front of them. And that's where we're at here in chapter 5. So let's read this paragraph, and we'll dive into this. God has taken his people on a journey of transition from the leadership of Moses to Joshua, that's chapter 1, established proper leadership, gave them a mission with inspiring words of encouragement, had them spy out the land of their inheritance and preparation, and led them miraculously across the Jordan River with Jericho in their view. And that brings us all the way up to this point. The children of Israel are about to head into their first battle, but before they can fight, they must prepare personally and corporately from the heart. And so here's what we need to take away from this. If you and I are going to fight for our promised lands, heart preparation is required. Now, we've talked about this in weeks past. What are your promised lands? Like, what are the things that God has given you where he says, this is yours? And I want you to be able to conquer it for my namesake. If you were to think about those things, what would it be over the past couple weeks as you've been listening through some of these messages? What would that be? Cool. What about school? Yeah, so reaching lost people at school. Teachers? Absolutely. Other students? Sure. Anybody that works at the school? I mean, any opportunity you might have to share the gospel with somebody? Absolutely. Okay, so that's a mission field. What, what else is a mission field that God's given you to conquer? Yeah. Neighborhood. Okay, your neighborhood. Your friends and family that live in your neighborhood? Okay. Yeah. 
the opportunities for you to be reaching other people, even other people that come to activities that you might get to meet. What else? Work. Work. Yes. How many of you work? Like you actually make money somewhere. Not saying you enjoy it, but you work somewhere. Okay. Are you surrounded by lost people that are there that want nothing really to do with God? Yeah. All right. Any other places? There's one big one we haven't talked about. Okay. Family. Yeah, because God knows Bobby needs the Lord. <laughs> what else? Come on, there's one. Your own mind. It stares you in the face every day. What do you got? Okay, sports and teams you're on. Sure, especially if you're on a traveling team. Yeah, but your own self. Like, I would say, I mean, if we're going to be honest, are you not your own worst enemy? I am. And God has given you the ability to conquer yourself through him, not by your own power. But that's usually the thing that holds us back the most. And that's what's holding Israel back because that's what got in their way early on. And that's why they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then a generation had to completely die off. And now this new generation is coming and now they're able to conquer the promised land. So we're going to see how they handled things a little bit differently and why God was able to use them to go into Jericho. So this is really applicable to all of us. All right. So the first thing that we're going to talk about this morning, before we get into this, just wanted to show you this. This is a super blurry because it's, you know, I had to zoom in out of this huge picture. But okay. So the, the children of Israel, basically they came from this direction and they crossed over Jericho and now they're camped out in Gilgal. And so they have Jericho right in front of them right here. So they crossed over the Jordan miraculously. God uh, ended up causing the waters to cease up in this direction, and they walked over on dry, dry ground. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, and then you have this right here is where they're camped out, and they got George. This is their first, first battle that's going to take place. Okay, so here's the first point, is, number one, to be circumcised again. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read these verses, and I want to work through these, but it's Joshua 5, 1 through 9. Give me someone to read verse 1 through... Um, Four and someone take the second half. One through four, and then Noah take the second half. Joshua five, one through nine. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan, Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were on which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from the from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more, because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made, sharp, made him sharp knives, and circumcised the children of Israel at the tail of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even, the, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, they, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, though all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that loweth, floweth with milk and honey. And their children, whom he raised up in their stead, then Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that the abode in their places in the camp, 
though they revolt. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from all of you. Wherefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal unto this day. Okay, so it's kind of weird. You know, no one really wants to talk about circumcision. And I think everybody has an idea of what circumcision actually is, right? Is there anyone that doesn't know what circumcision is? Don't be embarrassed. It's okay if you don't. All right, well, then I will assume that everybody knows what it is. If you don't, then you can ask me later. Okay, so. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so to, to talk about it in the most appropriate fashion, I'll give you an example, okay? So. What happens in, in, as far as the whole operation is concerned, and I, I can give you this example just because of what happens with babies, all right? So most men are circumcised when they're born, and generally it takes place within a day or two after the child's born. Um, according to the scriptures, and this is something that's quite interesting, and I want you to think about this just as kind of a, just pause for a second. God could have done anything that he wanted, but yet he chose to do this, okay? So I just want you to keep that in mind, all right? It's not like we talk about private parts every single day. We're raised in a culture where private parts are called private parts for a reason. But just think about this for a second. God chose to do it this way. And so just for that reason alone, this completely stands out as something that's very, very special. All right. Biologically speaking, on the eighth day of a male child, they have more white blood cells in their body than at any other point in time. God specifically told the children of Israel that they are to circumcise every male on the eighth day. We didn't find out about this scientifically until like thousands of years after. That's actually why. Because at that point in time, their body is able to go through that procedure and to heal up very, very quickly. So it's just very interesting. And that's why also the number eight in the Bible, when you see that pattern, is the number of new beginnings. So it's quite interesting. But God specifically had told the nation of Israel, I am going to have a covenant with you. And the sign of this covenant, and it's one of the references I put down, Genesis 17, 10, and 11. He said, well, the sign of this covenant is circumcision. Why would God do that? I mean, that's kind of weird that he would say, okay, I'm going to give a covenant. I'm going to establish this covenant with you and your people. And here's the sign of that covenant, circumcision. Every male is going to be circumcised. So that means everybody else that is not a Jewish person will not be circumcised. Well, this all goes back to God's establishment of a kingdom. And we could spend a lot of time on this, but there are two kingdoms that you find in the Bible. One is physical and one is spiritual. And it's supposed to be united, but because of what happened at the fall, and even what happened with Lucifer earlier on, those kingdoms were now divided. And so here, God is establishing a physical kingdom. And so what he did there is that now you have this focus on the seed of Israel. And as a, as a guy thinking about that, that no other male on the face of the earth is circumcised, but yet me and my family and us as Jewish people, we are circumcised. And so I'm thinking about the future generation. And this is a sign of the covenant between us and God. So we would have kept everything in context and everything in focus when it comes to their relationship with God. So God was a genius when he decided to do this. So when you think about that again, he says right here, they are to be circumcised again. And very specifically in these nine verses, he says that the, the ones that were raised up in their stead were not circumcised. Why? Did anyone catch why? Why were they not circumcised in the wilderness? They obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Yes, they obeyed not the voice of the Lord because God told them to circumcise their children. And yet when they were born in the wilderness, did they obey God? No, they didn't. 
And so now you have a race of people, God's race, God's people, where now they're getting ready to go in and conquer this land. And he's like, all right, hold up. We need to start something again. They need to be circumcised again because their parents did not obey me. Now think about this for a second. They are well beyond the eight-day-old male version of themselves. Am I right? Okay. So as an adult male, having to be circumcised would have been a big deal. You know what I'm saying? I I mean, I I hope you do. I hope you're kind of getting the the gist here. This would have not been like a, oh, okay. Like, seriously? We're about to go into battle. And God wants us to be circumcised now? Yeah. But what in the world? Okay. Very interesting. Look at verse 1 again. Listen, look at this. And it came to pass when the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan, westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So think about this for a second. Just look at this from a different perspective. You're about to head into battle, okay? You've now crossed over enemy territory. So, I mean, are you risking your life? Yes. 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 Come on, I need you guys with me on this. That way I know you guys are getting this. Yes, you are now in enemy territory, and now you could be attacked at any point in time. You're now on their turf. God says, um, all the males from this point forward, you guys need to be circumcised. We're in enemy territory. So you're telling me that when I cross over into enemy territory, you're asking me to be vulnerable, that I could be attacked at any point in time, that I have to take care of this business, and that I could be attacked whenever. And my, my family, my children could be killed because you're asking us to get circumcised. Are you crazy? Would this have been a, a test of their faith? Absolutely. This would have been a complete test of their faith. But do you see what God did in verse 1? What did he do? Everyone's scared of the Israelites. So because of what God had done, now the enemies of God are terrified of Israel. So God created room for them to obey and to be obedient to his word. Now, I want to call this to your attention for a very specific purpose. There are many times in our life where God may call you to obedience, but that obedient step may cause you to feel very, very vulnerable, very weak, very like, you know, very open to attack, very open to criticism, very open to whatever. And a lot of us, our reaction is, "Mm -mm. I'm not going to get vulnerable. I'm not going to look like I'm weak. Are you kidding? No, now is not the time. I'm telling you, yes, it is the time. When God is calling you to obey, and that means you need to take a step forward in obedience, and you're going to have to be vulnerable, and you might even be scared to do it, God always makes room for you to obey. Always. Always. Do you think he's ever going to ask you to do something that he would never, like, provide the way for you to do it? Like, if God convicted you, I mean, just, just think back on summer camp for a second, for those of you that went to summer camp. Or just think back to the time that God convicted you of something on a Sunday or a Wednesday, or maybe you're you're reading your Bible or whatever. Like whatever it is that God just really convicted you about, and you're like, "Mm, I I know that I have to do this. And you know that it's going to be a big step of obedience. You know that it's going to be something that that may may make you look weak because you've got to confess your faults or make something right. Why would God convict you to do something and then not give you the ability to do it? Right? 
But what we do is that we talk ourselves out of our conviction that God put on our heart to remain back in sin and the things that are holding us back from walking with him. And we don't trust God. See, they had to trust God because after they were circumcised, it would have taken, I mean, probably at least a week or two before they could even get up and start fighting and stuff again. And then after sitting around for a week or two weeks and they've not been active and then have to be active again. I mean, this was a pretty big deal. And they're about to head into war. So just think about that for a second. That is huge. That is massively huge. Now, let me show you something else that God calls out. So hold your spot in Joshua 5, and I want you to turn to Jeremiah 4. And give me a volunteer that can read Deuteronomy 10.16. Deuteronomy 10.16. going to take it. All right, everybody else go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 4. All right, now listen to these words. Listen to Deuteronomy 10, 16, and then we'll read Jeremiah 4. Whenever Sorry. Haley Woodrum gets there. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> Wait, what was it again? 10, 16. Deuteronomy 10, 16. That's okay. <laughs> read it one more time. Listen to these words very carefully. Okay, now just based on that verse alone, what does it mean to have your heart circumcised? Read it one more time, Haley. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. It's easy. It gives you the definition right there. You just need a volunteer that can utter English. Tim. Don't be stiff-necked. What does it mean to be stiff-necked? Yeah. Stubborn. What else? What's another synonym? Prideful. Anybody else? Yeah, unwilling to change. Hard-hearted. Exactly. So when you are prideful, arrogant, unwilling to change, hard-hearted, and you say, nope, Nope, God, I'm not going to listen to you. Nope, nope, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm going to do it my way, my way. You may not even utter those words, but on the inside, that's your attitude. God is looking at you and say, would you just please just circumcise the foreskin of your heart and just be obedient? Would you please just be submissive? Would you be humble? Would you be willing to follow me in obedience? And see, this was Israel's problem. This is why they entered into the mess that they entered into all the days of their life until they were taken into captivity. And then even after they came out of captivity, they still had problems. And the nation of Israel in the Bible is a perfect picture of you and I individually as believers. God calls you to obedience. And there's part of you that may want to obey, just like the nation of Israel. But then there's this other part of you that wants to be rebellious and stiff-necked and hard-hearted and stubborn and prideful. And God is saying, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, please. You're my people. You can't obey if your heart is uncircumcised. And so even though the nation of Israel were circumcised physically... They were not circumcised spiritually. Now look at Jeremiah 4. Look at Jeremiah 4. There's more to this. So based on what we just talked about, hopefully this will ring even truer in your heart and mind about what we're talking about here. Verse 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me, 
And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. And thou shalt swear the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Okay, so there's several other things that are here that we see. When you are not willing to circumcise the foreskin of your heart, because it says circumcise who in verse 4? Yourselves. See, this is something you have to do. This is something, this is a choice that you have to make. You have to come to that point where you are just so tired of making those mistakes over and over again, and you're so frustrated with not walking with God like you know that you should be, that you yourself have to come to that point where you're like, I'm done. I can't keep doing this anymore. I have to be willing to circumcise my own heart and give it to the Lord and be obedient. Because here he says, break up your fallow ground. You can't plant anything in a ground that is fallow. It's not going to work. I mean, think about gardening. Any of you do gardening? or plant anything for your parents, willingly or unwillingly? You have to prepare the ground. Like if you have dry, chapped ground that has no water, try digging something into that ground and break it up in order to put seed in. Is it gonna work? Okay. Is it gonna work? No, it's not going to work. So you know what you need to do? Take a hose, turn the water on, Put water on that ground, which water is a picture of what in the Bible? The what? Okay, of life, but it's Ephesians 5, the washing of the water by the word. It's the scriptures, the Bible. When your heart is dry and chapped and the word of God can't get in because of your terrible attitude, you know the first thing you need to do? You need to hear the word of God. Because when the word of God goes on your heart, whether you like it or not, This is why it's good for you guys to come to church. This is why it's good for you guys to come Wednesday and Sunday because we can be very stubborn and hard-hearted. And when you spend time away from church and away from the Bible, your heart will become hard. It's It's just natural. It's just the way things go. The Word of God starts to sink down into the soil of your heart and it starts to loosen things up. And then God can get in there and break up that fallow ground. But what does it say there? Verse three, look at it. Break up. Come on. Break up your fallow ground. So who has to break up the ground? You do. This is so important for you guys to get. A lot of us are waiting for God to do things in us. When in reality, he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's given you the word. It's softened the soil. Now he's waiting for you to break up your fallow ground, which means you need to be honest. You need to be humble. You need to be willing to be broken. And when that happens, then the seed of the word of God can get in there and then it can grow. And this is why a lot of our Christian lives are completely stifled because you may hear the word of God on a Sunday and on a Wednesday, which by the way, you need to hear the word of God more than that, but that's at least a start. But when you hear the word of God, you're not willing to break up the fallow ground. You're not willing to go in and break things up in your life so that way God's word can get inside of you. So you're not willing to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. You're not. So that's what the Bible says. And we got to make sure that we pay attention to how these things are worded. And you'll learn a ton about this stuff. 
All right, and go to Colossians 2. Colossians 2. I want you to see this. Because here he says in Joshua 5, be circumcised again. Again. So there's really two applications here. There's really one good doctrinal application here, and there's one good devotional application. The devotional application is this. All right, Christian, if you're born again and you are saved, there are days and there are times in your life where you're going to be hard-hearted. You're going to be stubborn. You're going to be prideful. You're not going to be willing to change. So you know what you need to do? You need to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. You've got to. If you're not willing to do that, then God can't do anything with you. And you're just going to continue down the path that you've been going down, and you're not going to be able to honor and glorify God. Then the doctrinal application is this. Be circumcised again. What does that sound like? From the Bible. To be born again. To be born again. This is a great picture of the gospel. So when it comes to the gospel, we were made in God's image. All right? Body, soul, and spirit. We know this, right? And then according to sin and what sin did, Romans 6.23, what does it say? For the wages of sin is death. Okay? So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what died? The spirit died. Because did they die physically? No. Does the soul die? No, that soul, no matter what, it always lives on forever. It's the spirit that died. And so because the spirit died, now we have to be born again. And that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, I think it's 17, but it's not 17. It's, yeah, it's 17. 17 talks about that when you receive Jesus as your savior, when you obey Romans 10, 13, where it says, whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. When you ask him for salvation, the spirit of God moves in and he is permanently united with your spirit, and it brings it back alive. It says that we become one spirit with God. So that spirit of God that moves in resurrects your dead spirit, and now you're back to three again, and you're able to have fellowship with God. And so when that happens, that's what it means to be born again. But let me show you something, because a lot of us, be, you know, and especially some Christians historically, have struggled with, well, if I'm a Christian, then why do I still sin? And there are some Christians that have the false doctrine of it's called the holiness movement where they believe that you can no longer sin again, which is ridiculous because we can after we're saved. But here's why. So Colossians chapter 2, and take a look at verse 11 is our focus, but look at verse 10. Because when you are in Christ, this is what it says, and ye are complete in him. So that means without Christ, you are incomplete, right? So think about that. Most of the frustration that exists in this world among people and their hearts and their minds is because they're incomplete. They're incomplete without Christ. And once they've received Christ as their Savior, now they are complete. For ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And look at verse 11. In whom also ye are, there's the word, circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And here's what that procedure actually did. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then it continues. But based on what this verse says, and this is very fascinating. Based on what this verse says, God came in and he circumcised. He raised your dead spirit to life inside your body. So if you just picture for a second, inside my body, I have my soul and my spirit. And then I have my fleshly body. Those are the three parts of me. When I received Christ as my savior when I was five years old, he moved in and he made my dead spirit alive. But then when he did that, he also circumcised, whatever, my soul and my spirit away from my sinful flesh. 
That's exactly what it says. If we're going to believe the Bible, that's what it says. Look at it, look at it again. In whom also ye are the circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And this is why, as a Christian, you still struggle with sin. Because until the day that your fleshly body dies, you will still struggle with sin because you're in this body. But the moment this body dies and now you're in the presence of the Lord, your soul and your spirit are released from this sinful body and you will never sin anymore. So that's the scripture that it talks about. And that's why God used circumcision as the picture to the nation of Israel. And that's why he tells them in Jeremiah and a whole bunch of other places, would you just please circumcise the foreskin of your heart? Because they didn't have this spiritual circumcision back then. That wasn't even available until Jesus Christ died and rose again. So just think about this. You can be born again, but you can still have a hard heart. And so maybe you are born again. Maybe you're not born again. Maybe this is what you need to hear this morning. So think about these things and try to figure out where you're at. Because this is where they're at. Before they can go back into battle and battle in Jericho, they have to be circumcised again. Go back to Joshua chapter 5. They have to be circumcised again. They have to nail this down first. They have to. If they don't do this, nothing else is going to go right. They're not going to be able to battle correctly. They're not going to be able to fight properly. They're not going to be able to be unified in this battle together. They're not going to be able to. And it's the same thing among you guys. There's no way that all of you guys can be unified in the mission that God has given you as a youth ministry in your homes, with your friends, in your schools, unless you are circumcised in your heart and born again. If those two things are not happening, you will never be unified. You'll never be unified. You will always be divided. And if you're divided, you can never win the battle. You're not going to be able to. Personally speaking, you'll never win a battle, a sin battle, a sin issue battle in your heart if you are always divided. Never. It's never going to happen. All right, let's keep going. Point number two. Joshua 5, 10, and 12. 10 through 12. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the self same day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. And neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. There's a lot we could talk about here, especially with the manna ceasing. And now they're going to eat of the fruit of the land, which means they're going to have to work now. But I wanted to focus on the Passover. So after they were circumcised, God told them to keep the Passover. Now, what was the Passover? Just give it to me in a nutshell. What was the Passover? Yep. God Passover killed a bunch of people. Okay. Unless... <laughs> I mean, that's like one half of the story, but the other half of the story. If they blood on the door, then you spare it to Okay, what kind of blood? What kind of lamb? Spotless lamb. All right, so back in Exodus chapter 12, God gives the specific details of what they need to do to, to observe the Passover. So they need a spotless lamb. That spotless lamb is a picture of who? Jesus Christ. And that blood needed to be applied at the top. And on the sides. I love that picture. That's a really good picture. And it kind of gives you an idea of what they had to do. They had to take that lamb's blood, that spotless lamb's blood, and they had to apply it over the top and on the sides of their door. And when the death angel passed over, then he would pass over their house and everyone in that house would be completely safe. But as far as the other households, the firstborn would die in their household. 
And that's actually the last thing that broke Egypt to let Israel go out into the wilderness. And so the only way out of bondage, out of Egypt, was through the blood of a spotless lamb. Yeah. Okay, when first born, like if you were like a father and you were the first born of your family, would you die too? No, it would be within your household. So like Pharaoh, for example, he would have been the first born since he was Pharaoh. But it was his son that died and he didn't die. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Probably. I think it's quite possible. Now, it doesn't say that there were, but it's quite possible. Yep. Uh, this is just a weird question. If they had multiple doors, if they had to do this with all the doors, <laughs> I don't know. If I were in that circumstance, yes. I would have done every door. <laughs> what about the windows? Do the windows. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I would have gone all out. Yes, yes. That's good. <laughs> All right. Although, if you didn't do exactly what God said, would there be consequences? Anyway. All right. Okay. All right. So, so they had to remember the Passover. Now, this Passover was something that God told them to remember every single year. Every single year. Why? Why would God want them to remember the Passover? And what else? Any other reason? To remember. To remember what God had done for them. And in doing that, to be able to trust God. So think about this. If Jesus Christ has covered your sin, if he's covered your sin and now you're good, and you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you and God, you're good, you're set, that when you die, that you will be in God's presence for all eternity, and you're good, you need to remember what he's done for you. And if any of you have been Christians for a longer period of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you forget what Christ has done for you, guess who likes to sit on the throne of your heart? You do. I do. When I forget what Christ has done for me, I end up taking charge of my own heart, my own life. So right after being circumcised again, he says, remember the Passover. Oh man, this is so good. Before you go into battle, you got to make sure that your heart's right. And before you go into battle, please remember what Christ has done for you. Because if you have not remembered what Christ has done for you, you're going to make a mess of this thing. Your motivations are going to be off. You're going to be doing it for self. You're not going to be, you're not going to be doing it right. So he tells them to keep the Passover. That is so good. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, we don't have time to read that one. But Paul says specifically that you're supposed to remember the gospel lest you believed in vain. People that forget the gospel, and let me ask you real quick. Can any of you right now articulate the gospel? I'm not saying to do it, but I just want you to think in your own heart and your own mind. If you were asked to stand up right now in front of everybody and you could share the gospel and what the gospel is, just explain it to the point where someone could understand it and they could believe it themselves and be saved. Could you do it? If you can't, then are you believing in Jesus Christ in vain? Because I know what has saved me. I know what saved me. And I can explain it clearly because my eternity depends on it. People that take it lightly, they can't explain it. And if you can't really explain it and you take it lightly, do you even have it? Something to really think about. Think about that. All right, and then the last part, point number three. Remember who you're fighting for and why. Now, I love this, this part. This is, I love, this is my, probably the favorite part of the story. Verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... There stood a man over against him 
with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. But as captain of the hosts of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord to his, unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Oh, man. Okay. I love this. All right. I don't have time to get into these verses here. So I'm just going to explain them. And I want you guys to read these verses later. So here you have the circumstance. Joshua. And who is Joshua? Remind me of who Joshua is again. Who's Joshua? The leader of God's army, a leader of God's people. He is the one that took Moses' place, and now he is in charge as the commander who's leading these people into battle. Okay? Now, it says that Joshua, he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and there stood a man over, and what's that phrase there? Read verse 13 again. There stood a man over against him. Against him. And then, what does it say next? With his sword drawn in his hand. So what's the picture here? Come on. Use your smart brains. What's the picture here? Anyone. Come on. Angel standing over Joshua with the sword. Okay, maybe. Maybe standing over, but it says against him. So imagine... I'm standing here, and like I'm Joshua, right? And then there stands Rick. Go ahead and stand up. All right? And he is standing against me with a sword drawn. Okay. <laughs> now, what am I going to think? Okay, yes. That he's going to fight me. That he's a threat to me. And so then Joshua's first question is, what is it? Read it. Or... Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, knowing that it was the captain of the Lord's hosts, I mean, this would have been an intimidating dude, all right? Someone who Joshua was probably terrified of, I would say, I would imagine. And you have this guy who's in front of him, sword drawn, and Joshua's like, all right, is this, this going to be on? Am I going to fight? I better find out. Are you for us or for our adversaries? And then what's the response of the angel of the Lord? What? Nope, not yet. Nay. Nay. Not like a horse. <laughs> Nay. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the word no. Okay, so you know what he's actually saying there? Wrong question, Joshua. No. Are you for us or for adversaries? No. <laughs> okay. And then he says who he is. He says, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come... And that's when Joshua fell. See, here's the, here's the reality. In Joshua's mind, what was he focused on? The sword. The battle. He was focused on the battle. He was focused on Jericho, which, I mean, that makes sense, right? Because he's the, he's the leader. He's the commander. He's about to head into Jericho with a bunch of people. He wants to succeed. It would have saturated his mind. He would have been obsessed with it, thinking about it, sleeping about it annoying his wife about it. I mean, he would have just been thinking about this all the time. And that's when the angel of the Lord showed up. And he said, no. Because think about Joshua. God's like, Joshua's like, all right, man, ready to go. Let's go. God, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. I'm ready to obey. Whatever you say, let's do. Let's go get this city. Be circumcised again. 
okay, all right. And then he goes and, all right, everybody needs to be circumcised. Which, by the way, when you read in that passage, it says that Joshua circumcised him, all the men. Which, by the way, is another great picture of salvation because Joshua also means Jesus in the New Testament, that Jesus has to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Okay, so, all right, God, circumcision is done. All right, let's go. Uh, Passover. Right. Okay, Passover. All right. Okay, God, I'm ready. No. Like, I'm, just, I'm just thinking about this if I were in his shoes. No. No. I'm the captain of the Lord's host, and I'm now come. And then he gets it. He falls on the ground, and he worships him. And we actually find out that this is actually Jesus, because only God receives worship in the Bible. And he says, the ground that you're standing on is holy. That would have taken him back to Exodus with Moses, the burning bush, where he said, the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. So his heart needed to be checked, especially when it came to the leader. Before you head into this battle, dude, you've got to remember. You've got to remember who's in charge. You have to remember who you're fighting for, and you have to remember why. So out of all the things we talked about this morning, there are three things that if you guys are struggling in your spiritual walk, you're struggling to just get things right, you're struggling with even just, just being consistent on a daily basis, it's these three things. The three things this morning. This is it. This is it. Your heart needs to be circumcised. You're stubborn. You're arrogant. You're prideful. You're hard-hearted. You want to keep doing whatever you want, and you won't quit. That has got to stop. Number two, you have to remember what Christ has done for you. If you don't remember what Christ has done for you, well, then maybe you're not even saved. You need to maybe get saved this morning, but you need to remember what Christ has done for you because he did everything for you, and that will set you free. And then thirdly, before you head into battle against that thing that you can't conquer— I mean, the behemoth of Jericho. We're going to talk about this next week. Jericho was massively, massively huge. I mean, the walls on this thing were like, you could not conquer this. And so you need to remember who you're fighting for. And you have to remember why. If you don't remember that, you're never going to overcome anything. This is why we're going through the book of Joshua. Because many of you guys talked about how you're struggling in your walk with God. You don't know how to walk with God. This is why we're doing this. Every chapter has been like, I mean, loaded with all the stuff that you guys need to do. This is why I've been trying to do a summary at the very beginning of the chapters that we've done before. Because we can so easily forget this. You've got, you've got to do this. You've got to come to the point where you're like, I'm tired of doing what I've been doing. And I can't, I mean, I, I want to win. I mean, like, do you not want to win in your life? I know I do. And that's just part of my competitive spirit. But that aside, like when I think about my life and I think about the day that I stand before God, like I want to be successful. I want to win. I want, I want to have something to show him. Well, in order to do that, then I've got to do this stuff. And that means part of me has to go. And I'm at the point in my life where I'm completely okay with that. Because the part of me that I was hanging on to really wasn't worth it. I hung on to it long enough to find out that it really wasn't worth it. And then now that I've clung to the Lord, and there are days that I still struggle. I mean, certainly, there's certainly days that I struggle. But I have found that clinging to the Lord is so much better than clinging to myself. Like, my life is more fulfilled. I'm doing what I've been designed to do. I have more peace. I have more joy. I have purpose. I have fulfillment. I have, I mean, real happiness that this world is looking for. And this is what so many people are struggling with. And so I know that some of you are too. Because we're talking about this, and God is moving my heart to talk about these things in this way. So I pray that you'd be obedient. All right, let's pray. God, I pray this morning that people would deal with whatever they need to deal with in their heart and in their mind. Um, These things are critically important. 
and for them to consider these things at their age is, is something that uh, I'm very thankful for, and I pray that they would be obedient. But at the end of the day, God, it's the decision that they have to individually make. It's not something that anyone else can make for them. They have to do it. They have to break up the follow ground. They have to circumcise the foreskins of their heart. So thank you, God, for those pictures that you've given us. Thank you for the book of Joshua. And I pray, God, that you be glorified and honored through all that we say and that we do. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.